It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. This is the hour of doom and bloom. Yes, Nurse Amy is at her warehouse of wonder today, and we're going to be getting copies of our new book, Alton's Preparedness Guide, Pandemic Preparedness Guide, out to all those who pre-ordered within a couple of days. I'm sorry, and I thank you for your patience. Then we'll hopefully hear from the goddess, but for right now, well, you're going to have to deal with the geezer. And with that, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Podcast, an instant of interest in an infectious world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, father and founder of Survival Top 50's Reader's Choice website, doomandbloom.net, your source for both medical education and an entire line of the best medical kits on the planet. Now, some of the stuff you hear on this show is outside the conventional medical wisdom. We have to Keep our active licenses going, though, so I have to tell you that all information and opinions voiced on the Survival Medicine Podcast are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. We strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it may be available. In other words, don't listen to this raspy old voice echoing in the wilderness. That would make you some sort of prepper. That is someone who's been ahead of everybody else by a mile for a month of Sundays now. The question is, are you going to survive this pandemic? Well, if I asked America this question a month ago, I get more than 27 people saying yes, that, well, are no longer with us. And in order to succeed in situations where everything else is failing, you got to have some training, you have to have some knowledge, you have to have some supplies. You must also have a mindset that is perhaps the opposite of what you were taught in your first responder course. That some disaster, some epidemic, maybe have overwhelmed conventional medical resources and you are now the highest medical asset left to your family. The average first aid or first responder course concentrates on stabilizing an ill or an injured person and then as rapidly as possible transferring them to the next highest medical resource. The buck stops there but not with you. But what if you are the highest resource left? The buck stops with you. And when that happens, it's important to consider more than how to stabilize the sick patient and transport them to the hospital. The hospital, for all intents and purposes, does not exist for you, especially when thousands are in need of its services at once, as can happen in a pandemic. This may be the situation you're facing now if you live in certain parts of the country. So when stabilize and transport is not a viable option, you're going to have to deal with sick patients from the first elevated temperature to, hopefully, full recovery. Now, this is an incredible burden to bear. I understand that. But somebody's got to do the job. And even the CDC recognizes this and puts forth guidelines for home care and suggests that you're better off at home if you have a mild to moderate case than being at an overcrowded hospital. That makes sense. Now, at the same time, they put out these guidelines, but they also tell you not to buy face masks, an important part of being a medical caregiver in an epidemic situation, then just to save them for people that are official medical workers. But guess what? You're taking care of sick patients at home. If you are doing that, who is now a medical worker? You. So between you and I, I think you should, I hope you have had a 
supply of mass already in your storage, and I think that's really the way you got to go. Now, to function, you need a fund of knowledge. When you obtain medical knowledge, it's wise to learn the basics on how to do basic things. Well, properly wrap sprains, place a tourniquet on somebody that's maybe bleeding. It's important to learn how to use medicines to reduce fever and nip infections in the buds, maybe antibiotics. But with many viral infections, like COVID-19, right now there is neither a cure nor a treatment that is proven, although chloroquine and azithromycin with zinc is indeed in favor with a lot of people right at this moment. With emerging infectious diseases like COVID-19, though, you don't even have a vaccine, so and you won't probably for a year or so, so this is a big issue. Now, you got to think that, well, I'm totally medically prepared. I listened to old Dr. Bones, and I got myself a bunch of medical supplies, and that's good for you, but if an epidemic lasts long enough or a pandemic lasts long enough, you're going to expend all your medical supplies and probably faster than you'd think. You're not yet without tools, however. You got to learn about natural remedies, alternative therapies, and maybe all that's left, but the strategies your ancestors used to ward off infection often had basis in fact. It's worth a shot, and that's what I think you need to consider. If the thought of running out of materiel concerns you, consider stockpiling some extra medical supplies. I think that's a good idea in any situation. Even in the initial stages of a pandemic, the disruption of the chain of supply is going to be a big issue. Countries that we depend on for the manufacture of medical supplies likely just don't have the advanced medical infrastructure that we have. An infectious disease outbreak, that's going to rapidly stretch that infrastructure all the way to the limit. And take away the items that we depend on for hospital supplies, oh boy, medicines, other products needed in a pandemic, then you have a society that's on the brink of collapse. We're not there yet, but we certainly have been caught unprepared. Some illnesses, they're going to be very difficult to treat if modern medical facilities aren't available. I've talked about that a lot. In the 15 to 20% of people that develop some severe form of COVID-19, you need intensive care. And that support is, well, limited. Who gets a bed in the ICU when there's a limited number of mechanical ventilators? All the high technology we've taken for granted may not be an option. You may not be the lucky one in this kind of situation. You may draw the short straw and not wind up on the ventilator and that may be all there is for you. All the high technology we've taken for granted may just not be an option. That leaves us with whatever knowledge and supplies we've managed to accumulate before things went south. Now, in addition to stocking up on medical supplies before a disaster occurs, it might be wise for you to deal with medical problems that may affect survival before a disaster occurs. That could include minor surgeries, like maybe something to correct bad vision, the LASIK surgery, arthroscopy, joint surgery to treat a bum knee, or other interventions, you're going to regret putting off procedures, especially look now in a pandemic where these procedures are being canceled until the end of the issue occurs, or the end of the disaster. You know, these are things that might have helped your mobility, or improved your vision if you were knocked off the grid because everyone has come down with the super flu. Well, the benefits gained by fixing medical issues now, even if it's just needed dental work, far outweigh the inconvenience of having to deal with them when modern medicine is not around. You can do pretty simple things, change your lifestyle a little bit, maybe nutrition a little bit. That might not prevent an airborne infection from invading your body, but good nutrition and exercise can certainly strengthen your immune system and offer you the best chance to recover. 
In a pandemic scenario, an ounce of prevention is worth not a pound, but a ton of cure. You got to start off healthy and have the best chance to stay healthy because you did. Now, I just wrote this book, Pandemic Preparedness Guide with Amy, and this book is specifically about viral infectious disease. And this pandemic that we're in the midst of, it's amazing to me, usually by when I write a book, by the time I'm done, the pandemic is usually mostly over. But we're still in the midst of it, just in the grip of it, and it is indeed something that may be a once-in-a-century thing. But it may be something that we have to deal with on a yearly basis. It may come back in the late fall, even if it goes away in the summer. And the, you might hear ads like, it's corona season again. Have you had your corona shot? Those are things that will occur, I think, in some areas. Maybe not Antarctica, but certainly places like Brooklyn might just have to deal with this on a yearly basis. And the masses of sick patients aren't the only problem. Almost every nation in the world has been damaged economically as well. It's pretty scary that a virus that didn't exist, or at least that we didn't know about, SARS-CoV-2, which is the name of it, the disease is actually called COVID-19. It originated in mainland China, but how did it originate? Well, I think that is very simple, that it probably originated in a lab accident. Yep, indeed, that is the current conspiracy theory, but it makes a lot of sense, I think, in this particular instance. Lab accident origin. Let's talk a little bit about them. Could COVID-19 have come from an animal? Almost certainly it did. Viruses mutate. They gain the ability to infect species other than what the natural reservoir is, but there has to be a natural reservoir to begin with. And most of the time, it's bats, believe it or not. Bats have this incredible metabolism that allows them to survive viral invasion without so much inflammation that it kills them. And so, therefore, they carry Ebola, they carry uh, SARS-CoV-2, they carry all sorts of different things uh, that sought to have carried uh, the original SARS, SARS-CoV-1. So you have a natural animal, animal reservoir. Okay, so your animal reservoir, bats in most cases, are going to have to be in close contact with other species for a mutation to possibly get to the species and make it also infected as well. That's called a middleman because there's a species between bats and between humans that carries the infection that people may consume. So maybe not a lot of people eat bats, although Chinese people apparently do eat bats, but they may eat pigs, for example, like swine flu, or they may eat some other kind of bush meat that winds up causing them to get infected. And for that to happen, another mutation has to happen. But RNA viruses commonly mutate. They mutate like crazy, and many times they're not effective enough in producing the normal RNA, and they produce some kind of mutation instead. Most of the time, the mutation means nothing. But sometimes it may make the virus more deadly, less, less deadly, more infective, less infective, be more specific to a particular species or less specific and infect a bunch of different species. So that may be what we're dealing with here. So a possible scenario is that it mutated naturally from an animal to infect humans, and then again to allow humans to infect each other. 
In the case of Wuhan, China, where the original cases were identified, it's not hard to imagine why. If you were in Wuhan and you wanted some nice fresh seafood, the place you'd want to go was the Hunan Seafood Market. Well, indeed, freshness is so important to some Chinese people that they like going to stores where there are aquariums where the fish are still swimming and they can pick out their fish and places even worse really where there are live wild animals that they pick out and they watch the thing being butchered and cut into all sorts of little pieces for them to eat so if you took a thorough walkthrough of this market although it's called the seafood market it makes it obvious there's a lot more than fish for sale if you know where to look you can find a nice fat beaver or a porcupine snakes all sorts of things and they're all meant to be eaten and even if you're cute you're not immune wolf pups koala bears they're also on the menu if you pick one out you can see it slaughtered and that's why they call these markets uh, live markets or warm markets because they're dealing with live animals that you deal with they're also called wet markets because of the large volumes of water you need to wash out the floors that are littered with blood and butchered animal products back to bats so bats are the natural reservoir of the coronavirus that's and they're used in traditional chinese medicine even if you don't eat them they're part of the medical tradition there it's believed that a bat or some middleman animal from the hunan market started the entire epidemic in this theory the sars outbreak of 2003 was indeed traced to an animal called a civet that's uh, has a cat's body and a ferret's face and it's sold in the live animal market where there were bats also available for sale. That's probably what caused the original SARS, SARS-CoV-1. In this case with SARS-CoV-2, it may have been a snake. It may have been a pangolin, which is a crazy looking armored anteater looking thing. Apparently is very popular to be eaten by Chinese folks as well. So it's interesting how some of these animals can carry terrible viruses but still remain healthy themselves. They act as a carrier, and indeed, once the new virus gets accustomed to the idea of hitting a new host, well, it quickly overwhelms the new host because there has been no previous exposure. It is pretty crazy. Perhaps it's a unique ability of the bat to fly. There's high metabolic rates that are required for the activity to occur in mammals. If the mammal's going to fly, it ain't easy, and you need a really high metabolic rate. And so that's one thing that may have something to do with it. The effect of uh, such a metabolic demand might be higher tissue damage due to an accumulation of molecules called free radicals. But the bats seem to clean up all these free radicals that they accrue as a result of their high metabolism. They somehow have managed to clean up these destructive molecules that cause inflammation. This ability to curve inflammation explains why bats live so long compared to other small mammals. If you've had a hamster or a mouse or a rat as a pet, you know that they don't live that long. They might live a couple of years, but many bats live to the ripe old age of 40. I bet you didn't know that. Antiviral immune responses involve inflammation, but bats seem to dampen the inflammation effect. As I mentioned before, then they may have some anti-inflammatory substance that warns other cells to activate defenses even before a virus fully invades. One lab study showed that when a bat cell line was exposed to a virus, it successfully walled itself off from infection. But when exposed to the same virus, a monkey cell line was quickly overwhelmed. In other words, the immune system went haywire and destroyed too many cells for the victim to survive. Bats may have evolved to protect themselves against viruses like that. If that's great for them, but if those viruses mutate to infect other species, not so good for us. 
It may never be proven that a particular live market meat purchase started the COVID-19 epidemic, but it's true the coronavirus can be found in many animals and is prone to mutate. So exotic bush meat that hasn't been proven to cause coronavirus to mutate into a strain that infects humans, well, it may be far-fetched for some people, but it certainly hasn't been disproven. Which leaves us with the Wuhan Biosafety Level 4 Lab Origin Theory. Now, before I tell you about this theory, I think you should note that a lot of print media consider it to be a bunch of hooey. The Washington Post calls it a fringe theory. Many others just plain call it false or more cleverly an outbreak of nonsense. Yep, despite all this, there's only one biosafety level four lab that we know of in the entire nation of China. And it is it a coincidence that the highest ranked place experimenting with viruses in China is located about 280 meters, 280 yards, essentially, away from the live market that I just talked about? That is pretty crazy as a co- if it's a coincidence. A new study by a group of university scientists in China raised this question and lifted it from the realm of conspiracy theories to one that some people might find plausible. And we were beginning to hear people say that, get on the bandwagon, that this was some kind of lab accident. They say that in addition to natural mutations reaching a middleman host for COVID-19, the virus probably originated from, indeed, a laboratory in Wuhan. That's from some Chinese doctors. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean bats weren't involved. The Wuhan version of the CDC keeps animals like that in laboratories for research purposes, one of which was specialized in the collection and identifying of disease-causing organisms. Matter of fact, the the magazine called Nature published two descriptions of the viral genome sequences found in COVID-19 patients. The genetic material was as high as 96% identical to the bat COVID coronavirus. Interesting information since there were two studies involved that involved collecting 155 bats in one and 450 bats in another in Hubei and Zhengzhen province, a neighboring province from where Wuhan is. In summary, somebody's gotten entangled with the evolution of the 2019 But don't take my word for it. There are a lot of researchers that indeed seem to believe, even in China, that that's exactly what happened. They suggest the contaminated trash from procedures done on the captured bats was the actual source of the virus. And also, you have to think about it. I mean, it could be just a pure accident, but could lab personnel, seeing all these bat carcasses that they were done with, saw the live market just 280 yards away and say, you know what? Maybe I can sell these bat carcasses to somebody at the live market. It's not that far-fetched, I mean, and indeed would tie in both the live market and the lab theory. By the way, it's also interesting to note that the CDC lab for Wuhan, which is uh, the WHCDC, it's a Chinese institution, is adjacent to the hospital where the first group of doctors that were infected worked, including the whistleblower that first notified us of the virus. If you take the other side, though, experts from the American Association for the Advancement of Science state that the new coronavirus could not have been uh, genetically engineered. They go as far as saying that they have to debunk crazy COVID-19 conspiracies. So if you look for evidence of genetic engineering, they say, you'll find none whatsoever. It's consistent completely with natural evolution. That's a quote from one infectious disease expert. But the speculation, you just cannot 
stop it, Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas has publicly endorsed the lab accident theory. I mean, he says that a natural origin is still most likely scenario, but they have to, well, show some healthy skepticism. We don't want to go directly to the craziest possible theory, like let's say the Chinese decided to personally, purposefully, and directly infect their own people in the hopes of infecting the entire world. I don't know. I mean, that may benefit them in some way, but boy, that is taking a a pretty big risk. However, having a lab accident because of uh, maybe a little faulty infection control procedure, well, that makes a heck of a lot of sense to me, and I doubt greatly that something like that was not involved. Well, let's talk about something that you probably had never even heard of until the pandemic, and that is social distancing. That's very inappropriate in polite society. You want to shake hands. You want to be within a certain distance of a person. Otherwise, you make them feel bad that they have bad breath or uh, body odor. Who knows? But truthfully, in an active community outbreak, the wise individual really needs to purposefully stay away from crowds or even just any other person, if at all possible. Isolation is good policy in the face of deadly and contagious diseases, but you have to work, right? You have to earn a paycheck. At least soon you're going to have to, even though the government has given you a stimulus. Sometimes you have to take public transportations to get to where you got to go. Maybe you live in an apartment building and houses a thousand families. This is a time that you would really have to think about what you would do to decrease your family's chances of being exposed and infected. Now, our mission, of course, is to help the non-medical professional deal with medical issues after a catastrophe. And that, well, involves taking an average citizen and making them a medic. And we've been told by some that this is a difficult thing. We deny that, of course. If you can absorb the information that we put out in our podcasts and our videos and articles and stuff and our books, you'll be in a better position to deal with contagious disease when the latest viral illness emerges. And one day, your survival strategy might indeed prevent an infection, might save a loved one. That is very, very important. It might save your own life. The COVID-19 epidemic is something that is a classic example of this. If you did not socially distance yourself, if you did not wear masks or other face coverings, it's very, very likely that the infection rate would probably be exponentially higher. It probably is exponentially higher already than what the positive tests have come out to show. But if you did not socially distance, I'll bet you that almost everybody would wind up getting this. And the swine flu pandemic of 2009 is an example. About 11 to 21 percent of the entire world's population is thought to have actually contracted the swine flu. Luckily, it was not a very deadly virus, although it was very contagious and only killed a couple hundred thousand people, despite hundreds of millions having been infected. This is a problem, though, for the average person because you don't really see these droplets coming at you, these respiratory droplets that contain all this virus. It's a big issue. What you've got to do is you have to figure out how far away you really have to be from other people. Interestingly enough, a study in the Journal of the American Medical Association reports that the distance contaminated air can travel maybe more than 20 feet. Other researchers say that sneezing, droplets from sneezing, can travel up to 26 feet, coughing a little bit less. They can float in the air for minutes or even hours, and you may not even have had your first symptom when you are 
indeed very, very contagious. And you, it's possible for the couple of days before you actually start feeling sick, you could be very contagious. And in other studies show that you may be contagious after you have apparently recovered, or at least you carry virus in your system, not necessarily contagious virus, but most likely it is something that could pass an infection from one person or another. That's why they see people that appear to be reinfected. So with regards to this three to six feet distance that most people are saying you need to be away from the next person, the specialist in fluid dynamics at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, who has stated that there is no virtual wall at six feet, and that's referring directly to health department suggestions. Not only can aerosolized liquid containing viruses float in this invisible cloud you might walk through and inhale, they can also settle on surfaces that you touch, and then, of course, touch your face, something that everybody seems to to want to do. Sneezes are the worst mechanism for spread by far. The COVID-19 does cause coughing more than sneezing, but it is something that you have to think about because cough spray up to 3,000 droplets that each of these droplets may have viruses in them. Sneezes reach up to 40,000 if you're infected, and that even just talking and exhaling could actually spread the virus. Now, outside, these particles are dispersed due to wind, but without air circulation, they linger. So it just depends a little bit on what kind of weather you've got. If it's windy, then it's very unlikely that you're going to wind up being infected by just air floating, uh, viruses floating around in the air. The concentration of viruses in the air indoors, however, is very high if there are people that have COVID-19 indoors, suggesting that airing out your home it might be a pretty good idea, especially if you're dealing with a sick person at home. Now, there was a recent study that reported that standard surgical masks, if they were used properly, are similar in your level of protection as the N95. So if you have them, you should use them. Other studies do show a significant difference in protection, however. For those who are sick, I would say a regular face mask would do to block large droplets coming out and hitting you in the face, hitting the caregiver in the face or nose or mouth, eyes. Of course, knowing how to fit a face mask properly is key to achieving the highest level of filter possible, and you'll find that in our face mask part two video where we show you how to put together a proper fit for these. Now, because of the shortage of N95 masks, the CDC recommends cloth face coverings in public spaces, especially in grocery stores, pharmacies, and other establishments in outbreak areas. In Florida, you can't enter a lot of these essential stores without having a face mask on. A barrier is certainly necessary in pandemic times, but what do scientists think about using cloth coverings? One researcher noted that violent exhalation like coughs and sneezes might be deflected to the sides of the mask, which are unlikely to be perfectly sealed and might come out the side. They can, however, still greatly reduce the distance that any escaping particles can travel. Uh, this uh, researcher added that it was important to realize that cloth masks aren't necessarily protective for the wearer in preventing inhalation of droplets in the air entering from the sides of the mask. It depends on whether you have a proper fit. Uh, she does mention the cloth coverings are uh, successful in reducing the range of contamination. The CDC does continue to recommend the surgical face masks and N95 respirators be reserved only for healthcare workers and first responders. That begs the question to me, if the CDC endorses home care for mild cases of COVID-19, somebody in the family is a caregiver, they're a medical worker, don't they have a right to face masks as well? 
Certainly priority has to be given to doctors, nurses, and EMTs, those people on the front line, but you may be the front line if a family member gets a mild form of the infection. You need protection as well so you don't get sick. You may not wind up getting a mild case of it. You might get a severe case. So you need protection as well, and don't let yourself be shamed just because you were prepared enough to have these in your medical storage before the pandemic began. That's all the time we're going to have for today. I thank you for listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with just Joe Alden, MD, not Amy Alden. And I'll tell you, I miss her. And I'm sure you do too, if you listen after listening to me drone on for a half hour. I hope that you will, however, stick with us and we will be back next time. Don't forget to check out our latest book, Alton's Pandemic Preparedness Guide. You can find it on Amazon or you can find it on our store at store.doomandbloom.net. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did.